I just love baptisms. I think they're so awesome. Just a powerful symbol to us of this thing that we talk about all the time. We use words to describe these things, salvation, a new life. But there is something about this symbol that is so meaningful to me. And of course, we've all been reminded, if we've been baptized, we've been reminded. And, and so I know one of the practices at Calvary Community is, is at the end of baptisms, we invite you to come and touch the water. And, and I'm going to just hold off and wait until the end of the service, if you would like to do that, uh, to come down here and you can touch the water to be reminded of your own baptism. I think of my baptism that happened in a place called Riverton, Wyoming. In one of the old-fashioned Nazarene churches that actually had a built-in baptismal that was up here. So you, I stood above the congregation, and, and they, weren't, they weren't nice to us. We had to actually give our testimony verbally, <laughs> and I was scared to death. I was like 10 years old, uh, hated public speaking. It was terrifying. <laughs> but I remember it. And I remember how through the years now, 37 years later, God is still working in my life. And I hope you get a sense of that as well as you see baptisms happening in our church. Well, this morning is Trinity Sunday. I told you that. The interesting thing about Trinity Sunday is it it separates the calendar, the Christian calendar, right in two. Right in two halves. So the first half of the Christian calendar starts in Advent. You might remember, you might know this, that, that actually the new year begins with Advent. So we don't wait till January 1st. We often are doing it the last week of November is when Advent begins. But that begins the new, new year for Christians, particularly if you're following the lectionary, which we've been doing this year. So the first half of the year, we, we're really focused on the life of Jesus Christ. We, we start Advent with, with the birth, and we keep doing this each and every year, and then we follow Jesus along the way until we get to Easter Sunday. And then Pentecost comes. And then at the end of Pentecost stands Trinity Sunday. The second half of this year is going to be spent on, on us, the church. What does it mean to be the church? So we spent the first half on, on the work of Christ. What does it mean that a Savior has come to us? What does it mean that a Holy Spirit has been offered to us? Now we have received this. What are we going to do with this great gift, with this knowledge? That's what the second half of the Christian calendar, sometimes called the ordinary time, is about. But here's Trinity Sunday right at the split of these two. And I think this is critical for us because it reminds us that just because we're moving the second half to the focus of what does it mean to be the church, we don't leave Christ behind, do we? What is the church without Christ? It's nothing. And certainly we can't just have one Sunday designated for for the Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday, and think, well, we've done that, we're good. We need the Holy Spirit. And what is the church without the Father, the Creator, the one that has breathed all life into us? Of course we're not leaving that behind. So here we are at Trinity Sunday with this reminder of we celebrate, we believe in Father, Son, and Spirit. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. At the center point or this halfway point of our Christian calendar, 
we have this transitional moment. Who are we going to be in the next six months? Well, if we're going to be the people of God, then we need God the Father. We need God the Son. We need God the Holy Spirit, don't we? So we're not leaving them behind. So Trinity Sunday is a good reminder to us. The text that's assigned in the lectionary is Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would encourage you to open it up to Matthew 28. If you need a Bible, by the way, you might have noticed that we have a a rack of Bibles that are available for you to pick up. And if you don't own a Bible, then by all means, please take one. That's what they're there for. But I really do encourage you to bring your Bible and to mark in your Bible, underline if you like, highlight things. I think it's a good record for us. On the surface, I think it's kind of odd that we're at the end of Matthew. Especially since we're going to spend the rest of this, of this summer in the book of Matthew. This is where we started at the beginning of the Advent season. And then you kind of get a little bit off with John for a while. And, and then I preached from 1 Peter, the epistle. But we're coming back to the book of Matthew. But here we are, halfway through the Christian calendar. We're at the end of the gospel. Why is that? But the text, I think, stands as a kind of cornerstone for us. I think this text is important. As we think about orienting ourselves, as we think about what is the next six months going to look like for us as people, as, as us as a church, what, how are we going to orient ourselves? Well, friends, we need to orient ourselves based on this text. That's my argument for you today. We need a cornerstone. We need, we need a way that's going to set our path going forward in the right direction. And I believe that this is what this text does for us. In other words, friends, this is the commission for us to be the church. If we're going to be like Jesus Christ, then we need to follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And we're commissioned to go forth. And so listen to these words from Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 16, the very closing words of the gospel of Matthew. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very ends of the age. Oh, those are good Good words for us. I think the place to to think about in packing this this great commission to us as we've come to call it is to think about the verbs in this passage. Particularly, let's start with verse 17, the verbs that are located there, saw, worshipped, doubted, came. I think one of the ways that you can really begin to, to try to interpret and unpack the meaning of Scripture is to pay attention to the words. Verbs are important. So I encourage you as you're reading your Bible throughout the week, notice what the verbs are. Let's begin with saw. The text tells us that the disciples saw the resurrected Christ. And I know 
If you're like me, we're, we're standing on this, uh, the other side of this story 2,000-some years later, and if you've grown up in the church like I have, if you've been around the church for very long, you know that we, we retell this story time, and again, every year we come to the cross, we come to the resurrection, the empty tomb, we celebrate, we live this story, and so if you've been around a while, then it becomes kind of second nature, doesn't it? It's, it's not so surprising anymore. It's, in some ways, it's actually comforting or comfortable to us that, that we hear of the resurrection and we begin to adopt and believe this. And, but I wonder, did you feel that way when you first heard the story? Can you remember back to when you first heard about the idea that Jesus died and was raised from the dead? It's challenging, right? There's some among us this morning that might be even wrestling. They're not so comforted by that language. They're, they're wondering, they're, they're scratching their heads a little bit. I don't know exactly what that means. Is, could that possibly be true? I think that gets us a little closer to what the early disciples were experiencing. Because again, they had no concept. They had no realization that, that resurrection was going to happen in the middle of history, so to speak. Good Jewish people thought that resurrection was going to happen at the end of time. When God would come, come back and all would be raised from the dead. That was believed. But what they weren't anticipating, what they weren't expecting was that one would be resurrected in Jesus Christ. And so they're, they're wondering about this. And yet, they get told to go to Galilee in the previous verses and and so they go. Even though there's, there's some wondering, and even though this is all new to them, they, they go to Galilee. And the text tells us as they come to the place that they are told to go, that they see Jesus. They saw. So I'm wondering, is it fair to say you can't see if you don't show up? Can you see something if you're actually not there? The reason I'm, I'm thinking about this is I'm wondering if you've ever had that, that, uh, that opportunity or that time where you've tried to tell somebody something that you've seen, this amazing thing, this really funny thing that you experienced, and you're trying to tell this person that wasn't there at the time, and you tell the story, and you don't get the response that you want. Has that ever happened to any of you? Okay, some of you, that's happened to you. Okay, good, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm not the only one. It's frustrating, right? You want, you want them to laugh like you did, or you want them to be amazed like you did. And when they don't, and they look at you kind of like, well, okay, that was a fun story. Or <laughs> they don't laugh at all. What, what do you say? Oh, I guess you had to be there. <laughs> I guess you had to be there. You know, I, I believe that we can see Jesus in other people. I believe that if we're watching one another, that we can see glimpses, images, ideas of what it means to be like Jesus. That in fact, other people help direct us in the path of Jesus. I think that's one of the great gifts of the church. But friends, ultimately, we need to show up and meet Jesus, don't we? I can't live my life through you all. I can't live my walk with Jesus Christ through other people. 
At some point, you and I have to show up. We have to go to this place. We have to meet Jesus. We have to come and see for ourselves. Who is this one? That's what the text is telling us. Even though it's unexpected, even though they're surprised and shocked at at this idea of resurrection, they're still questioning. They show up and they see Jesus. I'm preaching to the choir this morning, though. Do you know why? Because you're already here. You showed up. (laughs) And you showed up at a different time. Look at you all. You showed up. But why did you show up? To, To see me? I hope not. That's disappointing. (laughs) You came to meet who? Jesus, right? God. To have the Holy Spirit speak to you. That's why we gather. We come to see. And when we come and see the text, the very next verb is worship. And it's not shocking because when you come into the presence of the Almighty God, what is the natural response? Either you run in fear because you don't want to be in the presence of God, or you fall down on your knees and worship. I think you're here this morning because you have come to see Jesus Christ, to fall down on your knees and worship, to sing out your voice to the Almighty, to pray, to to reflect on this one that has called us into being and is reshaping us and reforming us. Worship. Text tells us the disciples come, they see, and they worship. And I think if there was a period there when they saw him, they worshiped him. Period. End of gospel. It wouldn't be such a bad ending, would it? They saw him, they worshiped him. End stop. But is that what your text has? Mine doesn't have a period there. The very next phrase, but some doubted. Think about that for a moment. The 11, because Judas is no longer with them, the 11 show up. The 11 that have been journeying with Jesus Christ. The 11 that saw him die on the cross. They've heard about his resurrection, and now they see him. They worship him. All of this is making sense, but some doubt it. I, I think that's good news for us, don't you? I, I'm wondering, are there any that might have come into this place wondering, questioning, struggling with faith? Have you ever had those moments where you've had doubts? What is this all about? What do I believe? Guess what, friends? Even the 11 that were with Jesus Christ for over three years saw him, felt him, were there at the resurrection. Even they had doubts. The text records it. And one would think this is the resurrected Christ after all. That he would be just sick and tired of the doubters at this point. Wouldn't you think that? Would you be so shocked if if your Bible said, and God was angry with the doubters. That Jesus looked at those doubters and said, are you kidding me? I'm here, right? But my Bible doesn't record that. Does yours? 
They see. They worship. Even some doubt. In the very next words, Jesus came to them. Not to some of them. It doesn't say that in the text, does it? To them. The doubters and the ones that didn't. He comes to all of them. Which says something to us. There's space in this church for those that are struggling with faith. I need you to know that. If you're questioning, if you're struggling, if you have doubts, this is a place that's safe to do that. We're a community that's safe to do that because the text is allowing those who doubted in the presence of the resurrected Christ to come into his presence. And he came to them. He did not reject them. He did not harm them. He did not refuse them. He did not demean them. He invited them to come. I wonder what it would be what it would mean for us as a church to be the kind of place where, where we have people that, that are assured of their faith, praise God, but also people that are valued and brought into the family who are struggling and have questions and doubts. The text seems to want to make room for those that are struggling. And it's once Jesus comes to all of them. He says these words, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Wow. That's a statement. That's a divine statement. I think we could spend all day on trying to unpack and think through the implications of that. What does it mean that Jesus Christ has all authority in the cosmos but that's not the word those aren't the words i want to focus on it's the very next word therefore so jesus says this amazing statement the text tells us therefore whenever you see therefore in scripture you need to ask what it's there for <laughs> timmy thank you it's a, a bad dad pastor joke, but it's true. It's true. Whenever you see therefore in Scripture, you need to ask, what is this therefore? Therefore is a, a bridge word. It's a connecting word. There's, there's one main idea, and there's a second idea, and these are not disconnected. They are brought together. All authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth, Jesus says. The text says, therefore. What is it connecting to? Go and make disciples of all nations. All authority has been given to Jesus, so we, his followers, are to go and make disciples. We're commissioned to make students of Jesus Christ, learners, followers. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's because all authority has been given to Jesus, we are supposed to make disciples. But the question is, how do we do this? What does it mean to make disciples? And here at the very end of this gospel, we get a, a kind of quick guide for us. Two steps that we need to focus on. This is why I think this is a helpful cornerstone kind of text. 
It orients us. If we're a church and we're going to be the church the next six months, we're going to try to live this out. Then how do we make disciples? Well, here's how it happens. Two verbs. Again, baptize. We saw it this morning. This great initiation right into the family of God. It doesn't have to happen at the very beginning of somebody's personal walk with Jesus Christ. But each and every time that we see baptism take place, we're being reminded of the new birth, the new life, this family that we are being invited into. Baptism is never intended to be the end of the story. Did you know that? It's always meant to be the beginning the start, this new life that now we've been raised from the dead, spiritually speaking. We're going to go forth and we are going to learn what it means to be the baptized, the adopted children of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's an initiation. It's an invitation. Friends, if we want to be a disciple-making church, we need to be an inviting church. We can't force baptism on people. We have to invite people. Come and see. Come meet the Jesus that has changed my life. Come meet the Jesus that has changed Kristen's life. Come and see. It's an invitation. If we're going to be the kind of people that follow the model of Jesus Christ in this world, the God that invites us into his presence, then friends, we have to be people that are inviting our friends, our family, into the presence of God. Come with me to church. Come with me to my house. Come eat at my table. We have to invite. It's an invitation. So if we're going to be disciple-making people, we need to be people of invitation. Jesus follows this verb up with another verb in verse 20. Teach them, he says. Invite them, baptize them, teach them. Discipleship at its best is apprenticeship. We don't do that much in this world anymore. But it's hands-on learning. It's mentoring, it's modeling, it's, it's following another person's example. It's getting in the trenches with each other. It's not just telling somebody what to do and then walking away. There's no place in this model for do what I say and not as I do. Church, did you hear me? We... we 21st century Christians need to hear this carefully because the younger generation is having a hard time when our words don't match our actions because they see so much of it because of digital media. They see all the times where we're hypocrites and it's, there's this accumulative effect that's happening and it's discouraging and it's, it's causing some to leave. And so church, there's no time for us to think that, oh, do my words, but not my actions. Our actions and our words have to align. Amen? Amen. But are you going to do it perfectly? With absolute perfection every single time? No. So my question for you, if you're inviting those into your life, 
to come and meet the Jesus that has changed your life. And you are trying really hard for your actions and your words to align, your teachings to match what Jesus has called us to. But every once in a while you stumble and fall. What are you going to do in that moment? Friends, I think there's another teaching moment there. The teaching moment is not to deny that we've been a hypocrite in that moment. The teaching moment is not to cast, cast blame on the other person that we've harmed. The teaching moment is this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I want to do better at following Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And in this case, I have stumbled and I need you to forgive me. That, my friends, is a teaching moment, isn't it? I think we need to be a community of faith that takes seriously that every once in a while we hurt each other, we harm each other, but we can repent. And in that moment of repentance and asking for forgiveness, guess what? We're helping the other person see that Jesus Christ is actually changing us, transforming us. And our words and our actions begin to align again. I want to be a part of that community of faith. How about you? Did you notice that Jesus, and I need to to close this morning, but did you notice that Jesus says that we're not to teach what we know? I read nowhere in there that it says, and teach them to obey everything you believe, Dustin. Teach them everything that you know, Dustin. I don't see that in my Bible. But what I do see it saying is that we are to teach everything that he has commanded. That Jesus has commanded. Everything, not some of it, but all of it. We don't get to pick and choose what we like. We need to wrestle with all of the words of Jesus Christ. To be disciple makers means that we need to know the words of Jesus then. So here's my closing thought for you. We're beginning the summer. We have three months, June, July, and August of summer months. And often summer months mean that we travel and go places and see things, and that's great. But I'm not so sure that we should take time off from the words of Jesus. What do you think? So we have three months we're going to be back in the, Mat- the Gospel of Matthew, turning back to the teachings of Jesus Christ because he's commanded us. We need to know his words so that we can tell his words. So we have to go back to his words. We're going to do that this summer in the Gospel of Matthew. There are 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. There are three months. Guess what? You could read the Gospel of Matthew one chapter a day, every day for the next three months, and you have gotten through it three times. That's a pretty good goal, don't you think, teens? No? (laughs) Maybe one time? (laughs) One time. (laughs) There are 45 chapters in all four Gospels. You have enough time that you could read through all four Gospels one chapter a day this summer and get through it two times. What do you think would happen, church? Teens, children, if we committed to read the G- Jesus' words every day this summer. Not legalistic. I'm not going to punish you if you don't do it perfectly. But what if we just committed to it together? 
We want to be a disciple-making church. We want to invite people into the family of God. We need to align ourselves to the words of Jesus Christ, so maybe we as a church should commit to read his words this summer. Anybody want to join me in that journey? On Sunday mornings, we'll be in the Gospel of Matthew. But let the Spirit work with you this week. Make a decision. Families, go home today and sit down as a family. And what are we going to do this summer to follow the words of Jesus Christ, to listen to his words, to read them? Couples, what are you going to do together? If you're single, do you have friends that you could bring into this journey with you? What are you going to do this summer with the words of Jesus? The closing words in this gospel are words that I think all of us should underline. An amazing promise, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's with you. Each and every moment of your life, he's with you. What a gift. Almost seems too much to believe, doesn't it? If we just had a tangible mean, a, a symbol, a sign that would remind us of the power of the fact that God wants to come in us. Oh, we have it, don't we? The table. So the one who says all authority on earth, has, heaven and earth has been given to me, says to you this morning, not me, says to you, come to my table. Receive grace. Grace for salvation, grace for sanctification. Come and receive the grace that you need so that you can be my disciple. So that you too can make disciples point others to me. If you would like to receive that grace this morning, then I'm going to invite you to come to the table in just a moment. My helpers are going to come down. Let's pray. God, Holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the great mystery, this community of love that invites us to be a part of your very being. Would you change us in this moment? Would you transform us? Would you equip us? Would you empower us? Would you provide the grace that we need to be the people that you are calling us to be? Oh God, would you help to remind us that these summer months are not times to take off from our relationship with you, but are times to, to rededicate. We're going to meet new people in new places, and oh, we want to be the kind of people that bring salt and light wherever we go. So God, would you be with us? Would you help us to experience you in powerful ways this summer? Would you be with our families or would you be at the center of our tables and our discussions? And would your words, your very words spoken in the Gospels be spoken over the whole family? Oh, would you be speaking to us, shaping us, informing us? And as we come to the table this morning, would you come inside of us, remind us that you go with us wherever we go? That there you are, wanting our words and our actions to align, to represent you. That you empower us to do that. So would you help us to receive the grace that we need this morning.